welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I want to talk about You Can't Hold a Good Man Down. It's the title of my message today. And I want to read a portion of Scripture found in Luke. Everyone say Luke. Not Matthew, not Mark, not John, but Luke. I'm just letting you know that I know the first four books of the New Testament. And you thought Pete was a smart one. It says this on my heavy old iPad. Does anyone in this room actually own an iPad 2 yet? Everyone. Everyone. Oh, shut up. Reading from my old iPad, holding it with both hands, it's getting a little bit heavy. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, any women in the house this morning? I love women. Like I said, I'm fine. I love them so much, I even married one. When all the men had just given up, the women were still in faith. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone had been rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. The whole Christian faith hinges on the fact, did Christ in fact rise from the dead? The answer to that question can either be, no, it's a load of rubbish. Or a stronger word, if you like. Or it is yes. It's either yes or it's no. One thing it is not, It can't be yes and no. Yes, 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 yes. It can't be true and false. It can be false and it can be true, but it can't be both. It can't be right and wrong. It either has to be wrong or right. The question is, which is more probable? And to find that out this morning, we have to look at the evidence for or against the resurrection. People that don't go to church often think that Christians are a bunch of losers. They are weak people. They just need a crutch to hold them up. And they've kissed their brains goodbye. Or they've been brainwashed. 
And yeah, I, I will concede that Christians have been brainwashed, but no more than anybody else. Every person in this room, in fact, every person in this community has been brainwashed by someone or something, every one of us. And if you haven't been brainwashed with the Word of God, if you haven't been brainwashed with Christian teaching, you've been brainwashed by some other teaching. You've been brainwashed by television. Some of you think McDonald's is better than Hungry Jack's. Been brainwashed. But it's not true because we know the burgers are better at Hungry Jack's. We know that. It's in the Bible. Sorry, it's on television, isn't it? That's right. Sorry. Yes, but that's what so many people do. They, 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 they quote all sorts of things and think it's in the Bible. Man who wake up with unhappy face should never go to work. It's not in the Bible. It's a proverb. It's a Chinese proverb. It's not, a, it's not in the Bible though. And so we have to look at the evidence for or against. And how we respond will determine on the answer to this great question. If we come to the conclusion that the resurrection is a load of rubbish, we should throw it out. We should get rid of it. We we should forget going to church. We should just leave right now. If the resurrection is not true, let's give up. Let's eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we may die. Let's get to the beach. It's 24 degrees. Let's go somewhere else other than be in this room. If the resurrection is not true. Paul said it this way in Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. We're wasting our time. But if the answer is yes, it becomes the most important event in history and it affects every life and it demands our full attention, commitment and energy. And so when it comes to looking for evidence of the resurrection, the best place to start is at the tomb. Would you agree? And this is where it gets really interesting because there's been lots of theories about what happened to Jesus really. And it's worth us on Resurrection Sunday just looking at some of those theories and to see if they have any weight, any credibility. And so I want to look at some of the theories that are out there in and around the empty tomb. And we need to start there because the fact that the tomb was empty empty is not in debate. Christian, non-Christian, believer, unbeliever, uh, Jew or Gentile, whatever the case may be, they agreed on one thing, that the tomb was empty. Jesus is not there. That's what they agreed on, believer and unbeliever. So, So what happened to the body of Jesus? Here are some of the theories. The disciples took the body. That's something they came up with. You can read that for yourself in Matthew 27. My question to that theory is this, why? What would it prove if the disciples took the body? When you read on, the disciples were beaten, mocked and martyred for their faith. Why go through all of that if it was just a lie? And here's the most compelling argument to this theory that the disciples themselves didn't believe in the resurrection. When Jesus died, the disciples went fishing. They thought, oh, it's all over. We're all gonna die. 
That was a waste of time. They gave up. They weren't in belief at all. They didn't even believe Jesus. When the pressure was on, Peter denied Jesus three times and a rooster crowed. And he just gave up. They were not in faith believing that Jesus was somehow gonna rise again. The other thought is if the disciples did take the body, how did they do it? Because the tomb was sealed. The tomb had armed guards outside. And the disciples themselves were totally afraid. When you're totally afraid, you don't have this idea to take on a heap of armed guards. But this is a theory. It's a bogus one, but it's a theory nonetheless. The second theory goes something like this. They went to the wrong tomb. Smarter men and women than I have come up with these theories. (laughs) Oh, it's road of rubbish, mate. This is how they talk around the pubs. Pretend that's beer. (laughs) Or for the ladies, wine, maybe. I don't know, whatever takes your fancy. If you're a Gen Y, maybe a cooler. (laughs) Cruiser, that's what it is. Cheers. I love you, man. They were coolers back in the 80s, that's right. West Coast coolers, that's right. Whether cooler or cruiser, they both taste disgusting. That's what I do know. Cruisers, focus, people, focus. Some of you are like, um, beer. Focus. You can have a beer in a moment. Just focus. What was I saying? They went to the wrong tomb. People at the pub, they just come out and go, oh, it's like rubbish, that Christianity, like rubbish. They just went to the wrong tomb. That's how people talk. And then they base the whole religion on that. Well, that's cool. That's a thought. I mean, I can understand women going to the wrong tomb. I can understand that. But the women came back and Peter and John ran to the tomb. Men don't get it wrong. <laughs> Men never get lost, do they? Or maybe it's the other way around. Either way, they both went to the same tomb. It's highly unlikely they went to the wrong tomb because it was a private tomb. It wasn't a public tomb. It belonged to a rich man named Joseph. And Jesus said, can I borrow your tomb? I won't need it long. (laughs) So it was highly unlikely because it was a private tomb. And if that was the truth, they did go to the wrong tomb. Why didn't the Roman soldiers go, look, you went to the wrong place. You Christians need more help than we first thought. (laughs) Here's the right tomb and see he's still there. Some of these theories that comes out of pubs is, and, and, and just is, is nonsense. The third thought is this. The third theory is this. The Romans and the Jews stole the body. Well, why would they do that? Reason being to stop the disciples stealing it. <laughs> We're going to take it before they take it. You, you think, I, 
These are genuine theories. Why people choose, they, they choose to hold on to these theories rather than believe what could be the alternative. And so they said that the, the, the Roman soldiers and the Jews collaborated and they stole the body before the disciples stole the body. This is highly unlikely because that's why they put guards on the tomb to guard it. And if that was the case, when everyone was talking about Jesus being resurrected, why wouldn't they just show the body? Why wouldn't they just say, no, 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 he didn't know you. Oh, you guys. We took him so that you wouldn't take him. Here he is. Surely if you took the body to stop the disciples taking the body, when this rumour got out that he'd been risen from the dead, surely you'd just say, no, he hasn't. Here he is. Wouldn't you? The fourth theory is the guards fell asleep. You can read for that in Matthew 28. The trouble is with this theory, for the guards to fall asleep on duty, the punishment was severe. So severe it could have resulted in death that they'd fallen asleep on duty. Not like the police in our day and generation who could fall asleep and it's okay. Isn't that right, Maddie Knowles? It, it, was, it was severe punishment for those that fell asleep. But that's why the guards went to the chief priests, not Pilate. Because they knew if the guards went to Pilate and the Roman soldiers, they would be in trouble. So they went to the chief priests, they went to the Jews and said, uh, we were doing what you told us to do and guess what? And it was the chief priests that came up with a plan to give them lots of money to say they'd fallen asleep and the chief priests would in turn go to Pilate and smooth over the situation. That's recorded in Scripture. The fifth theory is that Jesus wasn't actually dead. It's called the swoon theory. Picture this for a moment, Jesus. He's been beaten, punched, flogged. Many people that were flogged died from the flogging alone. He carried a 100 pound cross, 650 yards, He was so weak, he fainted and someone else had to carry the cross for him. When he hung upon the cross, he was pierced with a spear and water and blood flowed from his body. He was wrapped in grave clothes, coated in sticky gel that later hardened and would have weighed something about 75 pounds. This theory is saying that in this weakened state, all wrapped up, I mean, the way they wrapped up, you would have died of suffocation if nothing else. Somehow, Jesus, and I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but it is a Monty Python moment right here. Somehow, Jesus, in this weakened state, wrapped up in all this gooey, sticky cloth that's now hard, set, across his mouth and everything, can't breathe. Somehow, he's gone, "Mm." 
Oh, it's a bit tight in here. What just happened? Must have passed out. Yeah, I think about it, my, my side's pretty sore too. And somehow, I mean, he's, he's not standing up, he's lying down, okay? Somehow, he manages in this weakened state to, I don't know, Swiss Army pocket knife, I don't know. Get loose from all this garb Sit up, go over to a big stone that took four men to put in place, that is sealed and there's guards on the outside. Somehow Jesus, who never died on the cross, I mean, just getting out of the the, the grave clothes would have been a job in and of itself in that weakened state. I mean, it's only three days since the flogging. I mean, you don't just, it's not like he's, he's, he's lacerated. Somehow he goes up to the, I mean, it is comical. He goes up to this big stone and goes, <gasps> breaks the seal, rolls the stone away that took four men, sees the guards and goes, wow! Beats all them up. And with a lacerated, bruised and broken body, staggers to the disciples and says, I'm alive. Yet when the disciples saw him, they didn't recognise him. Because he didn't have all that going on. In actual fact, the only thing that Jesus had in remembrance to what had just taken place is the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet. It's like the only imperfection that God has allowed into heaven are these holes in the hands of Jesus and the holes in the feet of Jesus. And all this I was saying, it can't be Jesus. Look, look here. He goes to Thomas. He said, look, touch my hands. See where they nailed me to the cross. This swoon theory is ridiculous. If anyone wants to put it to the test, we can beat you severely. We can wrap you up, put you in a big tomb. We can do it. If you, if you want to put this theory to the test, I've got some men in this church that are Christians, but only just. And it wouldn't take much persuasion to, to, to arrange this little theory. It's ridiculous. The sixth theory is this, that the disciples were hallucinating. That they'd gone down to the local pub, distressed, just drowned their sorrows with so much alcohol or smoked so much of whatever they smoked back then. That in a deep, desperate desire to see Jesus, in a bleary, drunken state, or stone state, or whatever, 
they, they saw Jesus. That's what they're saying here. Yet, the Bible records that in the six weeks that he was on earth after his resurrection, he was seen by over 550 people, not just the 12 disciples who supposedly desperately wanted to see him. He was seen on 11 different occasions. It wasn't just one drunken stupor of of a night. It was 11 different occasions that's been recorded that Jesus was seen. Here's the clincher. He was seen not just by the believers, not just by the disciples. He was seen by unbelievers. He was seen by people who thought the whole resurrection story was bogus and there he stood before them. So this was no hallucination. And even if it wasn't a hallucination, why not just go to the tomb, get the body and say, guys, you were drunk last night. See, the evidence is in favour of the resurrection. Lord Darling, a former Chief Justice of England, said this, in its favour as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. That being the case, the evidence for the resurrection alone won't save your life or change your life. Peter and John in John chapter 20 went to the tomb. They saw the strips of linen. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the burial clothes. But they still didn't know what it meant. They still didn't get it. And so on the facts that the evidence of the resurrection is in the affirmative, in the positive, I want to look very quickly at three things that the resurrection means it can't be true and false it can't be yes and no it can't be right and wrong it has to be right or wrong yes or no true or false I believe it is true I believe the evidence for the resurrection is far greater than the evidence against the resurrection but what does this resurrection mean firstly it means that Jesus is who he claimed to be Jesus made some very bold claims. On one occasion in John 11, verse 25, it said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he he will live, even though he dies. Jesus made some outlandish, outrageous statements. For him to say things like that and then write him off as just a good teacher is crazy. I mean, on a good day, people have told me that I'm a great teacher. I'm a great preacher. It's awesome. But for me then to say, because I'm a great teacher and because I'm a great preacher, I am God. And that's taking things a little bit too far. For me to have a God, just a bit... To have a God complex, that's taking things a little too far. I mean, good preaching, yes. God, no. 
Because those that know me, really know me, say, he ain't God. I can tell you that, he ain't God. Yet Jesus said, I am God. If I said, I am God, you would start rethinking whether I'm a good teacher or not, wouldn't you? If Jesus is saying, I am God, and he's not, you don't put him down to being a good teacher. He's a liar. Good teachers don't lie. Jesus either was who he said he was or he's the biggest liar ever. He said, I am God and I'm the only way to heaven. And the challenge came from the religious people of the day to prove it. And he said, I will, I'll prove it. You're gonna kill me and in three days, I'm gonna rise again. Is that enough for you? The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he was. In John 14, verse six, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God the Father except by me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, not a way. I'm not a truth. He dismissed every other truth by saying he's the truth. He dismissed every other way by saying he's the way. What about Buddha? Not the way. What about Krishna? Not the way. What about Allah? Not the way. I am the way. I am the one and only way to the Father in heaven. Nobody gets to heaven but through me. That's what Jesus was saying. If he was lying, he's not a good teacher. If he rose from the dead, he's telling the truth. And he is who he claimed to be. You see, all roads don't lead to God. It's like saying I can ring any number and ring home. Oh, it's Kath there. No, mate, you got the wrong number. What? (sighs) Playing hard to get. She's obviously there. Kath there. No, must have the wrong number. Do you mean to say I can't just put any number in my phone and get home? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, dude. You can't put any number in your phone and get home. And you can't believe in anything and get to the home of God in heaven. You can't. Not if Jesus is who he said he was. The second thing the resurrection proves is that Jesus has the power he claimed he had. In Matthew 28 verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Because he was God, he could do everything that God could do. Jesus went as far to say in John chapter 10, verse 18, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. No government or religious leader had the power to stop him. They tried to trap him. They lied about him. They falsely accused him. They beat him. They mocked him. They crucified him. They killed him. They buried him. They placed a large stone over the entrance which four men guarded. They sealed it. And yet, on the third day, at the exact time he said, he brushed aside death as easy as you and I brush aside a fly. There was no battle. 
Because He was God and He had absolute power over death and hell. And He proved it by rising again from the dead. Thus proving you can't keep a good man down. That's where that saying comes from, you know. Jesus. The Pharisees couldn't stand Him. Pilate couldn't fault Him. Herod couldn't kill him and death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That is ultimate and absolute power. I'm not talking Port Adelaide power. I'm talking absolute authority, absolute power. I'm talking about winning on every occasion. I'm talking about kicking the 80 metre torp straight through the middle of the goals. Kind of victory. Such is the power of God. The third thing it proves is that Jesus does what he says he'll do. See, the cross was no surprise to Jesus. It was all part of God's plan. Jesus spoke about the cross often. It wasn't like when it came to the cross, Jesus going, how did I get here? Jesus prophesied. He spoke about a future event going to the cross many times. When the disciples thought that they had a great buddy and a great friend in Jesus and that He was going to be the one to deliver them from the Roman tyranny, He was going to be the King of the Jews that would raise up an army against the Jews and Peter and those guys got really close to Him. And on one occasion, Jesus looks at Peter and says, you don't understand, I've got to die. And Peter's like, oh, no, 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 not on my watch. You ain't dying. You're going to become king and we're going to take over for these stinking Romans. The big noses. To which one of the Romans said, are you calling me a big nose? Jesus knew He was going to the cross. In Mark chapter 10, verse 34, he says, they will mock and flog and kill me. But after three days, I'll come back to life. These are Jesus' first words after the resurrection. I'm back. Told you so. He knew. He knew. And all of these prophetic promises highlight one thing, that Jesus is and was a man of integrity. See, when people look at Christianity, they say this, are you Christians? You just have blind faith, believe in anything. True faith is not blind. Blind faith is just wishful thinking. Just hoping beyond hope that, you know, someone would like you. I think I said this on Friday. Maybe there's a girl you like, guys, or or vice versa. And you're hoping beyond hope that they will like you back. But there's no real evidence. And so you're just hoping. That's not the type of faith I'm talking about. I'm talking about a faith that can be trusted because it's based upon the integrity of a person. 
Glyn's nodding. If Glyn said to me, which he did on Friday, see you Sunday. I didn't doubt him. I placed my absolute faith in him that he would be there. Not because I'm a mighty man of faith, but because he has integrity. And when Glyn says something, I know, like I know, like I know, he'll do it. And so the faith I put in Glyn being here this morning, which he is, stand up, Glyn, just so they don't think I'm lying. <laughs> no, some people think he's not here. He's just, there he is, there's Glyn. <laughs> some people sitting there, yeah, he's probably not here. No, he's there, that's him. <laughs> yeah, but he's, yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not about my faith, it's more about his word being trusted. See, where religion becomes a real pain in the neck is where Christians go around saying, I'm such a mighty man of faith. It's it's like, oh, shut up. Some might even say, this strong, shut up, idiot. Some might even say it's stronger. It's not about our faith. I don't feel I have great faith. I just think it's real easy to believe God because he's such a man of integrity. 700 years before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that he'd be born. It was prophesied where he'd be born, how he would be born, what city he'd be born into, what would happen to him. Jesus prophesied and spoke about future events. He said, I'm going to die. He said to Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to disown me. And when you disown me three times, not once, not twice, but three times, very specific. And when you disown me three times, a rooster's going to crow. It's very specific. And that happened and Peter was cut to the core. And the Bible says that when that happened, Jesus looks at Peter. And I don't believe it was one of those looks like, told you so. You bad person, you're going to hell. I think it was one of those looks that said, Peter, told you. And just like my word can be trusted, the things I said about your future can also be trusted. So don't give up. Don't give in. Your best days are ahead of you. I said those things to let you know that I have integrity. My word can be trusted. It's not about your faith, it's about my word. And Jesus, who said he was going to die, and it happened, who said he was going to be buried and it happened, who said he was going to rise again after three days and it happened, who said he would descend to the right hand of the Father and it happened, also said, it's coming a day, I'm coming back. And I have no reason whatsoever not to believe that Jesus is coming back. Not because I have blind faith and I'm hoping beyond all hope, but because I read the words and I see the fulfillment of prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And so it's that I base my faith in God. Not because I'm stupid, not because I don't have a brain, not because I can't get a girlfriend, not because I have no friends, not because I'm a dork, not because, you know, I just I was a dropout at school, not because, not because all the things that people put on Christians. There's more to Christianity than Ned Flanders. Christianity is actually a thinking man's religion, as we've seen this morning. In actual fact, it would take great faith not to concede, based on what I've shown. It actually takes faith not to concede. The resurrection proves Jesus is who he said he was that he has the power he said he had 
And then he does what he says he will do. I want you to turn your attention to the screen as we conclude with a audio-visual of an old-time black Pentecostal preacher as he discusses his king. Thanks, guys. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.